Fantastic. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. If you're here new, I'm glad you're here. Uh, we are in uh, the very beginning of a series where we are uh, looking at what is known as the seven feasts of the Lord, uh, outlined in the Old Testament. Um, and we've called this series Appointed Times because when we think feasts, we think food, right? I mean, at this church, mention almost anything and we think food. But the feasts in the Old Testament, the word originally means appointed time. It's a time set apart for a purpose. It can be a celebratory time. It can be a somber time. In either event, it is an appointed time, a, a scheduled meeting. The entire story of the Bible, and this is so important for us to understand as we go through this series, all God wants is a relationship with his people. From beginning to end, if you ask yourself, what's the underlying tone of the Bible? It's a God saying, I just want to be your God, and I just want you to be my people. It's really relatively simple. When he created us, he didn't have to create man. He chose to because he wanted a relationship with people who shared his image. It was a beautiful thing, a perfect creation, a, a, a people who reflected his image being led by the Spirit of God. He was going to share life with them. He was, he was going to show them two things. He was going to teach them things. And, and when they didn't understand what was going on around them, the Holy Spirit was going to be there to show them what God's doing in that moment. That, that was the purpose and plan that God had when he created us and put us on this earth. He, he designed us to commune with him. He, he put a homing beacon inside of us that says we're to be connected to something, someone much bigger. He put in us a desire to want to go home, a desire to be accepted who we are as we are, loved unconditionally in exactly the way that he created us. He wanted to share his creation with us. To have us look at the things he created and go, wow, you're an incredible God. But then that relationship was broken by sin. And as a result, God decided to put in a whole bunch of reminders, a whole bunch of signs that said, look, I haven't given up on you. The relationship is not broken forever. We're separated a bit, but I'm coming back. To the oldest that lived before Jesus, he said, a Messiah is coming. Put your hope in the Messiah. He's going to restore our relationship. I won't be gone forever. And then he, to, for us, it's the Messiah has come. And he's coming back and he's restoring our relationship with that father. And one day he will be our God and we will be his people and we'll be living with him for eternity forever. But that day is a day yet to come. So in the meantime, God wanted to make sure that his children knew they'd one day get to go home. He promised it through the prophets. He revealed it in Jesus and he manifests it through us in the Holy Spirit. We are his and he is ours. For those in the Old Testament, he reminded them that there's a Messiah coming who will restore this broken relationship. There's an appointed time for the Messiah to come. His word tells us that basically when the timing was perfect, that's when the Messiah came. There's an appointed time for Jesus to return to us. 
These times are ordained by God. They are good and set on the calendar. One is done, the other is as good as done. They're promised by God and certain because of God. His love is displayed in many ways, but one of them is that he ordained the feasts. The feasts of the Lord were a gift to the people of God. He said, I'm going to tell you seven times a year, seven appointed times, when I want you to stop everything you're doing and focus on me. These are appointed days. Each one contains a promise. Each feast points to a future event. These feasts are a shadow. And Jesus is the fulfillment. For those in the Old Testament, there were four spring feasts, beginning with the Passover. For those in the New Testament, three additional feasts, ending with the Feast of Tabernacles, the final feast where we all share our eternal home with our Lord. Appointed time, seven feasts, four in the fall, three in the spring, and together they all tell the story of the coming Messiah. Spring feasts happen during Jesus' first coming. The fall feasts will happen during his second coming. The feasts that have uh, essentially been fulfilled prophetically are Passover and unleavened bread and first fruit and weeks. And the feasts that are going to happen at his second coming are going to be trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the tabernacles. And as we study these seven feasts, we begin to be wowed by God. Not only did he give us the feasts, he filled our world with signs and promises and certainties. From the moment our relationship was broken by sin, God began the plan of making sure we knew that he wanted a relationship with us even though we have sinned. He put, we are going to see signs in the heavens, signs on earth, signs among people, signs in the heart of people. He gave signs recorded in Scripture through the prophets, signs recorded in Scripture from Jesus himself. He gave his followers the Holy Spirit to reveal and teach all things, including the awareness of times. As spirit-filled people, we should be aware of the times. Signs, signs, everywhere a sign. God did not want us to miss the promise that he would restore our relationship. He didn't want anybody to miss out on the restored relationship with him for all of eternity. If you look at the underlying desire of God throughout Scripture, it's I want to be with you forever. I want to be with all of you forever. I'll do anything it takes, all of you, but I won't coerce you or force you. So today we began looking at the individual feasts, and we're going to spend this week and next week looking at Passover. My prayer is that by studying these feasts, together we'll begin to see God's plan for redemption. It allows us to build more confidence in God's promises in the future, and we will see and understand what Jesus did and why he did it in a very fresh and new way. We'll have a better understanding of our Jewish friends and their story. And during this study, our motivation to reach those who don't know Jesus will intensify. We'll be moved to action, specifically to reach those who are Jewish and those who are not. 
Across the ages, God has sought after the people of Israel in order to bless them and through them bless others. He gave Israel a sacred trust. They bear his name. The manifest his redemptive plan to the world and that redemptive plan is outlined in seven feasts. In a sense, these times represented God's agenda to meet with us. He wanted to meet with us to foreshadow the major events of Christ's coming. Ultimately, they provide a biblical and historical foundation for faith in Jesus. Many of us know that the book of Exodus is the story of the Hebrew nation's flee from Egyptian bondage. If you remember the movie or the book, Nine Plagues had failed to change Pharaoh's hearts. Nine plagues. Now imagine you and your relatives have been in slavery for 430 years. Picture that. Longer than this nation's been here. Every relative, every person, everybody has been in slavery. You've been through every atrocity imaginable and your family stories are horrible. You wondered if God ever heard your cries or cared for you or about your tears or even cared about your people. You were supposed to be his people and yet you're under the oppressive yoke of the Egyptians, the pagans. Then one day a man shows up named Moses. He says God sent him there to free you from slavery. It almost seems too good to be true, but, but Pharaoh wouldn't listen to him. And then God begins to do something miraculous. He sends plagues. Plagues that only God can send and plagues that any one of them should have been enough. But he sends nine and Pharaoh is still refusing. But now it's the 10th plague. The plague that God says will break his will. Tonight's death will pass over and kill all the firstborn of all the people and all the animals. All the people. Jewish, non-Jewish, people, all the animals, every one of them, firstborn. This death sentence was not just for the Egyptians. It's on anybody who doesn't believe in him. God rescues and saves only those who are willing to do what he commanded. Let me repeat that. God rescues and saves only those who are willing to do what he has commanded. So imagine that tonight you have to do something to save your oldest son. If you don't do what God tells you to do, your oldest son will not be here in the morning. Think how carefully you would listen to and obey these words. Now, before we do that, I want to remember that this story is very familiar with us, right? We've heard it before. We've seen the movie. And often when we get to a story that we think we know well, that's when we need to start interrogating the text. That's when we need to start asking questions that we would ask if this was a brand new, fresh story. I want you to think about this question as we go through today. Why did God choose a lamb? Why, why did he tell him to put blood across the door? Why did the death angel pass over? Why? 
Why not just drop every firstborn of the Egyptians with a head nod? Why not cause a plague? Why not cause some other malady that would cause the firstborn to die? It would have had the same impact on Pharaoh and the Egyptians. It didn't matter really how the firstborn died. It mattered that the firstborn died. But God says, no, we're going to do this a very specific way. I want you to find a perfect lamb. I want you to kill him. I want you to take the blood. I want you to put it over the door. Why would he do that? Let that percolate. We'll get back to it. Exodus 12, 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Now you got to understand this. These people have been in bondage for 430 years. They've never made a single decision on their own. They've never been told where to be, and they had absolutely no use for a calendar. Because tomorrow's going to be the same as yesterday, which was the same as the day before. So God says, look, things are changing. I'm going to give you a calendar. Why am I giving you a calendar? Because we're going to have some appointed times. You need to know when they are. Now notice, he says, verse 4, and if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each of you can eat, make your count for the lamb. This commandment is given to the congregation of Israel. Every household member had to be connected to a lamb on the 10th of the month. No excuse for not having a lamb. If you can't afford one, you share one. Every person has a lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Pick your lamb by the 10th. We're going to sacrifice it on the 14th. Note that it's no longer a lamb. Your lamb. Keep a lamb for four days, it becomes yours. Same thing happens with a pet. Bring it into your house, you start caring about it. That's not a lamb, that's your lamb. And now you're going to examine the lamb, and your lamb is perfect. Not a thing wrong with it. One year old in its prime, it's a perfect lamb. You're going to keep it for four days. Then note something. The entire congregation kills their lambs at twilight together. Everyone participates in the slaughter of their lamb. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentils of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat flesh that night, roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. The blood of the lamb is to be placed on the doorposts above their door. It makes no sense. Why do that? They're to roast the animal. That's unusual. 
Lambs are almost always boiled. But God says, I want you to take this lamb and you're going to roast it on the fire. And you're going to eat it. And you're going to eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. Its head and its legs and its inner parts. Don't touch the sacrifice. Offer the entire perfect lamb to God. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Today, with your phone charged, your keys in your hand, and plenty of gas. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. They are to eat this meal dressed and ready to go. It's to be eaten quickly. And then note, who does the Passover belong to? It's the Lord's Passover. It's His day. It's His appointed time. He said it, we participate. Verse 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. All the firstborn in the land of Egypt, not just the Egyptian firstborns. God is executing judgment. He's not randomly killing people. That's not what God does. He's bringing in righteous judgment for sin. What is God judging? He's judging slavery and bondage. The punishment for the Egyptians for all that they've done for the last 430 years is going to be this judgment. They have oppressed the Jewish people. They will not let the Jewish people go. He's bringing judgment on their gods, the gods of Egypt. You've worshiped false gods, let them save you now. But he's going to bring judgment to any one of the Jewish nation who heard his plan for salvation and refused to trust him enough to put the faith of the blood of the lamb above their door. We don't talk about this very much. We picture it as if only the Egyptians died that day, but the scriptures tell us that if Jewish people didn't put their faith in what God promised, they too lost their firstborn. This wasn't an Egyptian attack. This was a world being brought under judgment for pagan gods. If they refused to trust him enough to put the blood of the lamb over their door, they would not be saved. Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Who's doing this? God. I will strike the land of Egypt. I will pass over. I will bring judgment. Note that the blood is a sign, it tells us. A sign not for God, a sign for us. God said that the blood is our sign. God didn't need a sign. The death angel didn't need a sign. We needed to make a statement. We needed to place a sign. You see, the blood was for us. 
Sacrificing the lamb was not enough. You could sacrifice the lamb all you want. But if you didn't take the blood and apply it over your door, over your life, then the sacrifice of the lamb did nothing to save you. The blood of the lamb represented their faith in God. To say to themselves and to others, their future is in his hands. You see, the blood of the innocent lamb is what allowed death to pass over. It was all based not on blood, but on faith. To believe that God is who he says he is and he'll do what he said he would do. Those who believed God in faith put the blood of the lamb above their door and their child was saved. Those who didn't have the faith to do that ignored the blood of the lamb, didn't apply it to their door, and lost their firstborn, falling under the 10th plague. Then he says in verse 14, this day shall be for you a memorial day and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. God tells the Israelites, the Jewish nation, this is a feast, it is an appointed day. It is a holy day. On this day, going forward for the rest of time, we are going to remember the Passover. We are going to remember what the Egyptians went through. This day shall be special. You shall keep it through generations. Teach your children. Teach their children. Keep it as an appointed time, as a feast. A special day when you and I are going to meet. A special day when we're going to set everything else aside. Seven times a year, we're going to come together and we're going to hang. We're going to meet. So what's the importance of Passover? Well, there's only one Passover when the Lord passed through in judgment. It only happened one time. Each Passover up until the death of Christ was a memorial commemorating the occasion. Throughout the entire Old Testament, once a year, the entire Jewish nation stopped and they remembered the Passover. They remembered the lamb. They remembered the sacrifice. They remembered the blood. They remembered the faith it took to put the blood over. They, they remembered all of it. It is the oldest continuously delivered feast in existence today. It's occurred every year for over 3,500 years. Passover is the foundation of the rest of the feast. It is the base Foundation. It is the beginning of the feast year. Today, more people, more Jewish people keep Passover than any other Jewish holiday. So let's start out by looking at a few key elements of this feast. God gave three symbolic foods that they were to eat, just three. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire, the lamb, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. The lamb, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs. Each, we will see next week, represents a symbol. God never does anything randomly. The lamb. Let's look at the lamb. The lamb is the most critical element of the Passover. Without the lamb, without the sacrifice, without the lamb's blood, 
There's no Passover celebration. Every person has to have a lamb at Passover. Even Jesus had to have a lamb at Passover. There's no Passover celebration without a lamb. And there's no excuse for not having a lamb. You can share it with your neighbors if you need to. Passover is a community event. The lamb is the centerpiece. So let's spend a few moments reviewing what God said about the lamb. There shall be a lamb for every household. If the house is too small, then share one, but everybody's got to have their sacrificial lamb. The lamb must be without blemish. Needs to be perfect. Needs to be the best of the best. You don't offer God in sacrifice anything less than your very best. You can ask Cain about that. Ananias, others. No broken bones. No blemishes, no deformities. They examined the Passover lamb. Any fault, any blemish in the lamb had to be replaced. The lamb must be a male and it must be one year old. Maybe this age represents perfect innocence. Sheep don't reach sexual maturity until 19 months. The lamb was taken on the 10th day, not sacrificed until the 14th day. Four days to observe it, to make sure it's without blemish, to examine it, to feed it, to take care of it, and to grow fond of it so that your sacrifice doesn't cost you something. David once said, I refuse to give to my Lord that which costs me nothing. You see, if you try to make a sacrifice and it doesn't cost you something, you've made a donation. A sacrifice means I'm giving up something valuable to me. My family, my children, they're going to fall in love with that little lamb. Uh, They just are. And uh, in four days, we're going to walk to the temple with it. We're going to put our hand on its head, and we're going to slaughter that thing. You see, because my sins have cost to them. My sins cost something. Every sin I have costs something. Somebody has to pay. Something has to pay. And the only thing that pays for sin is spilled blood. As they sacrifice their lamb, they are reminded of what the lamb stands for. The lamb stands in their place as a cover for their sins. They recognize its innocence. And your sacrifice is now your lamb. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole congregation, the whole assembly of Israel shall kill their lamb at twilight. Day 14, three o'clock to six o'clock, in the temple, thousands of lambs being slaughtered. Josephus said that they slaughtered so many lambs at Passover that you literally could have a funnel of blood rolling down into the Kidron Valley, out the gates, a flood of blood. Slaughter's done on the 14th day of Nisan between 3 and 6 p.m., three straight hours of children crying, lambs being slaughtered, animals squealing, priests covered in blood, all because of your sin. Passover foreshadows the future of the Messiah. 
Note that everyone participates in the slaughter of the lamb. Everyone has one, everyone slaughters one. The whole assembly gathers together. The whole assembly is responsible. The whole assembly slaughters the sacrificial lamb. All are present, all are responsible, all are involved. Everyone in some way is responsible for the death of the lamb. But not everyone is saved by the blood of the lamb. They have to have enough faith to believe. Knowing that the lamb was sacrificed for their sins doesn't cut it. It's the faith in what the lamb represents, the promise of God behind the lamb that brings salvation. They had to believe the promise of God. They had to trust that the sacrifice of the lamb and apply the blood of the lamb to their home. Their salvation that night and ours in the future is a personal decision, but the punishment is cast out collectively. In other words, the entire congregation, the entire assembly has their own lamb and is responsible for sacrificing it. And from that point forward, what happens with the blood of the lamb that has been shed is up to the individual. Does that make sense? The entire lamb has to be sacrificed and eaten and destroyed. The sacrifice has to be absolutely complete. The sacrificial animal completely uh, ingested or completely destroyed, fully giving, nothing remains. When you give your sacrifice, there is nothing left to give. It's empty, it's full. You don't hold anything back. John, one day was walking with his disciples and he saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist called Jesus the Lamb of God. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the Jews. His statement is much broader and much more prophetic. Jesus, the Lamb of God, the Jewish Messiah, the sacrifice would not just be for the Jews, but would be for the entire world. And we're gonna see through this series that in everything, in all these feasts, they all foreshadow the life of Jesus. God went to great detail to give us signs in these feasts that point to the future Messiah. Let's go back and look at Jesus' life during his last Passover on earth. Jesus is the Lamb of God. He's perfect and without blemish. You can examine him all you want. Perfect. On the 10th day of Nisan, that year all the Jews were identifying their lamb. Jesus was entering Jerusalem. We call it Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, the Lamb of God presented himself to the temple of God to be examined as the sacrificial Lamb of God. They had been looking for the Messiah to arrive on that day. It had been talked about through the prophets. 
We've been through that before. A specific day when the Messiah would present himself to the temple. They were excited because they knew the Messiah on that day was to arrive at the temple and they were lining the streets going into Jerusalem waiting for the Messiah to come. How did they know who it would be? Well, the scripture said he'd be lowly riding on a donkey. They knew the day, the time, the year. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, meaning Savior. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. They welcomed Jesus by laying down palm branches. Hosanna means save us, save us now. They were singing a psalm, Psalm 118. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The symbolism here is incredible. Perfect Lamb of God coming to the temple on the 10th day of Nisan, presenting himself to the temple, headed towards the sacrifice. He presented himself as the Lamb of God to the temple of God in exact prophetic fulfillment of the Passover. He spends the next four days being examined by the Pharisees and keepers of the law. They try to trick him. They try to find a flaw. They try to find a blemish. They question him, was John's baptism from heaven or on earth? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar? What about marriage after the resurrection? And Jesus proves himself to be flawless and without blemish. During those four days, many people accepted him as their lamb. Mary would anoint him with oil. For them, he was no longer the lamb of God. He was their lamb of God. He was their savior. But the Pharisees, finding no blemishes, began to make him up. And he said to them, you brought me, this is Pilate, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. Okay, remember, the lamb is to be presented on the 10th for four days to whom? The leaders, right? They examine the lamb. They decide. After examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. The lamb is pure. The lamb is innocent. The lamb has no guilt. He has been brought to the temple. He has been presented for four days. He's innocent. He's perfect. He's exactly the way the lamb of God should be. Pilate declared him as innocent. The lamb has been presented, examined, and declared without blemish. We often know that Peter denied Jesus three times. 
Jesus asked Peter if he really loved him three times. And three times recorded in John's gospel, Pilate says, I find no fault in him. Note the crowd. They all yelled, crucify him. Slaughter him. He was killed, sacrificed by the entire assembly. Everybody was responsible. All said crucify him. All participated in the sacrifice of the lamb. His crucifixion was done publicly in the midst of everyone. He was sacrificed on the 14th day of Nisan at twilight between 3 and 6 p.m. At the exact time Jesus hung on the cross, the lambs were wailing and blood was pouring in the temple as the sacrificial lambs were all being slaughtered for sin. The same time Jesus is pouring out his blood as the Lamb of God to those who would listen. In addition, contrary to Roman custom, his legs were not broken during the crucifixion, maintaining him as a perfect lamb. For 3,500 years, the Jewish people celebrated Passover with the hope that one day, one day the Messiah, the Passover lamb, the lamb of God would come and take away the sins of the world. Each Passover pointed to the one in the future. And then one day, a very special appointed time on the afternoon of the 14th of Nisan, at twilight, Jesus, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed for the sins of all the world. Jesus fulfilled the prophecy of Passover. Paul says it this way, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The feasts are the shadow of what's to come. Jesus is the fulfillment of what comes from the feasts. The symbolism of Passover is incredible. When you understand it in the life of Jesus, it's Jesus that makes Passover so incredible. The Lamb of God being sacrificed for the people of God, bringing salvation to those covered in the blood of the Lamb. It's incredible that Jewish people don't see the fulfillment of their Passover in Jesus himself. It's amazing to me particularly when you see how they actually celebrated the Passover feast or the Seder. Everything in that feast points to Jesus. Everything about the Seder is unique and specific to Jesus and Jesus alone. In fact, without Jesus, the Passover Seder makes almost no sense. Next week, we're going to study the specifics of how the Seder is celebrated and how every part of the Seder points to Jesus. You're going to see that everything about the Jewish Seder is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jews all over the world celebrate Jesus every year. And year after year, they don't even know it. They're doing things in the Seder that tell them it's Jesus and they don't see it. The priests sacrifice a lamb each year. Focusing on the first Passover when the Israelites were first saved 
by their faith in the blood of the Lamb and the promise of God that he would deliver them from the death angel that was passing over that night. They don't realize is why God chose a lamb. The symbolism, the blood, the faith. God could have done anything to save them from the 10th plague. He could have made the firstborn immune. Could have covered them with anything he wanted. He could have given them a 95 mask. He could have done anything. He could choose whatever he wanted, anything he wanted. He could have just dropped the firstborn with a spoken word if that's what he wanted to do. But he chose to sacrifice a lamb. Chose to take its blood. Force people to either obey him or not in faith. He chose to have people declare their faith in him. One way or another, very clearly, in a very obvious way. Why? One reason. It's a big sign. Passover is a big sign. The best way to foreshadow the death and sacrifice of the Messiah who was to come. The Lamb of God would be sacrificed and the Passover is the foreshadowing of that very real moment in the life of the very real Messiah. Passover was the only way to show the world, to teach the world about the Lamb of God. Everything in the feast is a shadow of things to come. They always point to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was martyred so we could be saved. Just like the first Passover, it wasn't blood that saved them. It was their faith in what God promised the blood would do. God told the Israelites that the blood of the lamb would save them from death. And he tells us the blood of Jesus will do the same. We are all saved not because Jesus shed his blood for us, but because we have the faith to allow his blood to cover us. Jesus shed his blood for everybody. But the blood only matters to those who choose to believe in the promise of God behind the blood. Passover is what reminds us of the price, reminds us of our faith, and it reminds us of God's promise. We remember that promise every time we take communion. Taking communion reminds us that we've placed our faith in a promise. A promise that when Jesus returns, when the final death passes over, we'll be ushered into eternal life. All because of our faith in the blood of Jesus. All because of God's promise and all because of our faith in him. On the night prior to his crucifixion, Jesus took the bread and the wine. And he said, I've been waiting a long time for this Passover. I'm sort of speaking waited. I have so looked forward to this moment when I can share Passover with you because tomorrow the Lamb of God is going to be sacrificed. Jesus took the bread and the wine. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he said, every time that you do this, you point to the day in the future when I'll return. So we're going to celebrate communion. And I want you to think about this when you're thinking about communion. I'm going to force you 
to take communion with that slide still up. Because we downplay the blood. We downplay the sacrifice of what our sins really cost. Let's pray. God, as we come to your table, the first thing we recognize is that we're not worthy. The only reason we can celebrate communion, the only reason we can have a relationship with you, the only reason we can have any hope in the future promise is because for reasons beyond our understanding, you desire a relationship with us. So God, as we take the sacraments today, may we remember the price that was really paid, what Jesus really had to do to offer us his blood as our covering over the doors of our life. Thank you, God, for Jesus. Thank you for the blood. Thank you for salvation, and thank you for the Passover that shows us what it's all about. Open our hearts, God, as we share communion. And we ask it all in Jesus' name.